Joining us for a conversation is world-renowned resource stock analyst, Andrew Heck. Mr. Heck, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, Maurice. It's always a pleasure to be with you. <laughs> Likewise, it's great to have you back on the show to discuss diamonds, which are undergoing a once-in-a-generation opportunity. Mr. Heck, you just published a piece entitled Diamonds Are Forever, but the market for diamonds just underwent a massive change. Let's begin at the 30,000-foot level and share with us why are diamonds forever? Well, you know, it takes over a billion years, Maurice, for a diamond to form. You know, it's a, it's a hydrocarbon. It's a carbon. So it takes over a billion years for it to form. And, um, you know, it's a forever thing. People tend to hold them uh, for their lifetimes, pass them down to uh, their heirs. Uh, diamonds are a symbol of love and devotion and commitment. And, you know, the diamond industry and the beers have done a wonderful job marketing diamonds as, as a symbol of love, devotion and commitment and, you know, marriage and you know, anniversaries and birthdays and, you know, they're marked for, particularly for women and more so for men today uh, with the gift of a diamond, which is a forever gift. Well, you're going to make a lot of men upset here if they're uh, having their significant others listen. <laughs> well, I brought you on today because there's a, a number of value propositions that are presenting themselves, but I think there's one that you've just identified, which are diamonds, that the market is definitely overlooking. And I want to begin with a comment you made in reference to Vladimir Lenin, where he once stated, there are decades where nothing happens, and there are weeks where decades happen. This is a perfect analogy, which is happening right before us, as there's a massive change occurring in the diamond space, which may present a tremendous opportunity for speculators. Can you comment on that for us? Well, it's a, I, I, you know, I put the quote in there because it's kind of a prophetic um, uh, statement from uh, the man who established the Soviet Union, well, first Soviet Russia and then the Soviet Union over a hundred years ago now. And his uh, predecessor, his um, successor, Vladimir Putin, um, uh, moved uh, tr troops into Ukraine to try to uh, expand uh, the territory of the Soviet Union after the, uh, of Russia the Russian Federation after the breakdown of the Soviet Union back in the uh, late 80s or early 1990s. And uh, it just so happens that Russia is a country that has the uh, greatest amount of um, diamond reserves and is also the, the world's leading producer of, um, of diamonds, uh, of gem quality and uh, industrial diamonds. And, you know, since the invasion, sanctions by the U.S. and by Europe, um, you know, is, is, is a uh, significant factor for diamond supplies worldwide. You know, look, I'll give you a little bit of a couple of figures. Uh, Russia uh, in 2020, well, they produced 30 and a half percent of the world's diamonds and um, their reserves of 650 million carats are twice the amount of the second leading country with reserves is Botswana with 310 million uh, carats of reserves. So, you know, the, the war in Ukraine and sanctions by the US, um, Europe and other allied nations uh, are a significant factor for the diamond market. And that's just happened over the last uh, month, less than a month. 
And there's actually a bifurcation of that you just referenced. Can you expand on that? You referenced gem versus rough diamonds. What's the difference there? Well, rough diamonds are what, what come out of the, uh, the, the, the Earth's crust in diamond mines, and um, rough diamonds are what diamond producers make. And then, you know, some are of better quality than others, but uh, the, the, the diamonds that we buy for our significant others or we buy for ourselves are polished and cut and uh, put into a form of the, the, the beautiful stones that we adorn. And I believe this is what it's about a 20% uh, that makes the quality of gem. Is that correct? And then the rest is used for industrial purposes. Yes. I mean, look, diamonds, you know, the industrial diamond market is big because there's nothing that can cut through, uh, you know, that, that, that can be used uh, in manufacturing processes like diamonds for cutting and, and those types of purposes. So the industrial diamonds are key. You know, to, to harken back to my career when I ran um, uh, various commodity businesses for Philip Brothers, Fibro, and Solomon Brothers. I put together the first joint venture with Russia. Uh, the company was Almaz Juvelier Export. They were the uh, largest um, exporter of platinum, palladium, rhodium, osmium, ruthenium, and, un and polished diamonds uh, out of Russia. And that was a very big business for Almaz in those days. And um, it's very... Uh, important export for Russia uh, and, and also very important import for countries around the world. But a lot of those diamonds were industrial diamonds that went to uh, manufacturers and, and companies around the world that needed to use those diamonds uh, in their, mostly their cutting processes. Which is paramount to understand here on the value proposition. So you have the rough for industrial purposes. That's key that I think that many of us overlook because when we think of diamonds, we naturally think of something beautiful as a, as a jewelry piece. But there's a second component that factors into the value proposition. Now, exactly. It's a very, very, very hard stone. You know, it's, it's the hardest stone. So, you know, billion years to form, it's got pretty good, it's got pretty good cutting ability. It certainly does. But prior to the crisis in Ukraine, the the market was turning for rough diamonds can you explain on that yeah well it, it's really a function of uh, what's going on in in the world economy post um post the pandemic that started in march 2022 central bank liquidity and um government stimulus has decreased the value of money or the purchasing power of money and uh, forcing all raw material prices higher. And um, diamonds are no exception. I mean, they're a commodity. Now, so uh, the diamond prices had been rising, you know, even before the, the, the Russians started amassing uh, troops on Ukraine's border and um, then they crossed on February 24th. Yeah, which reminds me, if you study monetary history, when there is a, a loss of confidence in, cur in the currency, the people will go back to physical precious metals and i always noticed that there was a reference to holding diamonds and fine art so you you see the the pieces of the puzzle forming right now before us which again presents the opportunity that you're conveying to us today now who benefits from this supply constraint the most well you know let's let's go back to the numbers i talked about the reserves and the production that russia has and you know you have um in terms of reserves the top four are Russia, Botswana, the DR, the Democratic Republic of Congo, and um, South Africa. 
Those are the leading in the leaders in reserves. But the leaders in production, production of diamonds, the actual you know physical stones, in 2020 was Russia, Botswana, and Canada. Um, Russia, 30.5% of production, Botswana, 21.2%, and Canada, 17.2%. So it's the nations other than Russia that produce diamonds that are going to benefit because of the sanctions. You know, I mean, look, diamonds are not marked uh, uh, with the country of origin. And sanctions will, will be challenging because diamonds are kind of, you know, they, we've heard a lot about diamond smuggling and things like that over the years. And, you know, some diamonds will make their way out of Russia, even with the sanctions. But it will be less. And certainly the markets will favor diamonds that come from other producing nations. And uh, South Africa, Canada, you know, Botswana, those, those, those countries will benefit, certainly. Um, because the, 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 the Western world, uh, U.S., Europe, where there's a, you know, these are wealthy areas and, and, and big diamond consumers uh, will, uh, will forego. Now, in China, they will still continue to, to buy Russian diamonds, but um, the U.S., Europe, they'll favor Canada, South Africa, other areas. So that's a, an opportunity for those uh, diamond producers uh, to to increase market share at the expense of Russia. And speaking of that, I'm just curious if the countries that you referenced, Canada, South Africa, are they going to be able to meet the demand? Well, that's that's the big question, and you know that's <laughs> that's the question that can really turbocharge prices. You know, it's kind of kind of sanctions are a mixed blessing when it comes to Russia because you know in trying to to hurt. Uh, the Putin government and the Russian military, um, you know, we are boosting the prices of, of, of diamonds and other commodities. And uh, that, that, you know, that through the back door, it, it, it's actually could help them in a way <laughs> because supply constraints, uh, you know, supply less availability causes prices to rise. Now, where do you see the diamond market heading? Well, look, you know, inflation is a, 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 a tough beast and um, war, the first major war in Europe since the end of World War II only exacerbates the inflationary um, situation we're seeing on a global basis. So, you know, I'm bullish on all commodities here. I contend, continue to be in diamonds are no exception. Now, Bull markets rarely move in straight lines. But the problem with the diamond market is it's not like gold or oil or these other leading markets where there's a lot of transparency. It's kind of an opaque market. Um, you know, and, and De Beers, one of the largest diamond uh, producers and kind of, I, I like to call De Beers the OPEC of diamonds because you know they control they've, they've controlled a lot of the supplies throughout the years through agreements with other producers and they've released diamonds to keep the prices you know in a, in a flow to keep the prices steady to, to higher and you know the, the, this situation only turbocharges the chances for higher asset prices and diamonds are certainly an asset it sounds like there's an opportunity here for speculators Let's find out how speculators can take advantage of the opportunity before us. Now, you've identified two companies that present a unique value proposition right now. 
Introduce us to those respectively and how they're associated with the beers and what role do they play in the value chain, beginning with Dimacor Mining. What can you share with us? So let's look at Dimacor. uh, I just have some things that I want to hit on here. Dimacor is a junior mining company. It trades on the Toronto Exchange and it trades in the OTC market in the U.S. Um, As a junior mining company, you know, it's looking for properties uh, and it, it long-term, it has a long-term strategic alliance with, you know, a lot of people who know the diamond business. The first thing that comes to their mind is the beers. But if you ask the more layman, the consumer, what do you associate diamonds with? If you play a word association game, I would bet that many would say Tiffany. Because Tiffany, the Tiffany diamond is a very famous, you know, uh, uh, diamond. And it's the one that most women would love as an engagement ring or a wedding ring. And um, Dimacor has a strategic alliance with Tiffany. And, you know, Tiffany is synonymous with diamonds. Now, Dimacor acquired the Crone um, Endora uh, at Venetia Project in South Africa from De Beers. They're in an accelerated phase two of a three-phase uh, upgrade to, to increase volumes as the demand for diamonds has been robust. The most recent sale by Dimacor yielded an average of about $300 a carat, which was 50% higher than the December 2021 price, so very short time ago. The company has revenue flows and it's been profitable. And a high percentage of the diamonds that um, they have are gem quality. The reserves are roughly 90% of the project area that has not been defined yet, which means that there's growth potential. So, you know, there are reserves on on 90% of the entire project area. So it's a really kind of interesting company, a junior mining company. And um, I think that it's, you know, it's, it's a real potential because of 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 the fact that you know they have a, a strategic um alliance with tiffany which which is incredible they bought their property from the beers and the property is producing so that's an interesting an interesting company certainly from my perspective and can i now pause that, you there for a moment there, sure. there's something interesting you said there uh, did i hear that correctly they're increasing production threefold is that correct I said, oh, no, 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 they're, they're an accelerated phase two of a three-phase process three-phase to process. upgrade and increase volume. So they're already well along the curve in terms of their um, um, process here. And, and you know, the, as far as how many times they can increase production, that's really a function of, um, uh, you know, the other property that they have not yet defined. But there's diamonds on that property, supposedly. And, um, you know, that gives it tremendous growth potential. You know, you don't, we don't know yet, but perhaps more than three times. Yeah, you look at the price per carat from December to now. That's, stag- that's a staggering number. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, that's, that, it is. It is. It's a, it's a very, very attractive number for them. And, and uh, Tiffany is going to buy diamonds from this company. So I think they have the right of first refusal on the diamonds. And, and uh, that's... You know, they're, the, they're a big consumer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's segue now to the second company, Mountain Province Diamonds. What can you share with us? 
Well, they're a Canadian producer, which is really attractive because, as we said, you know, Canada, 17.2% of the flows uh, of the production in 2020, and Russia, 30.5%. Now, you take that Russian production out of the equation, they become, you know, the second largest uh, producer behind Botswana. So, um, Mountain Province owns the fifth largest diamond mine in the world which is, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, Gaucho Q. Um, it's G-A-H-C-H-O-Q-K-U-E, and that's in Canada's Northwest Territories. They also own 100% of the Kennedy North Project, which explores for diamonds in the Northwest Territories in Canada, and is, um, you know, it has 13.6 million carats of reserves, and inferred resources of 7.35 million carats it's 10 million uh that that other property is 10 kilometers from the gaucho q mine uh it's got the highest grade diamonds in the de beers portfolio at 1.55 carats per ton it's the second most favorable mining district in in canada uh in the world in canada um, you know, it's got a, the company also for, for environmentalists, it has a su sustainability commitment. It's committed to uh, a green path for mining. Um, and the exploration territory of 107,000 hectares of 100% owned claims and leases surrounding uh, Gaucho Q. So they own that, um, or they lease that, uh, that's Mountain Province Diamonds. And this company trades on the um, Toronto Stock Exchange in Canadian dollars, and it also trades in the OTC markets um, in the U.S. Would you be able to give us the symbol, please? Um, yeah, that symbol is M like Mary, P like Peter, V like Victor, D like David, dot T-O for Toronto, and M-P-V-D-F on the OTC market. And I looked at those charts and... Uh, the stock has been trending higher. Now, in summary, we've covered the value proposition today before us in diamonds. We've addressed sanctions, supply chain constraints, and the countries that would benefit the most under these circumstances. But in particular, you've highlighted two companies that merit our attention for our respective portfolios. They are Dimacore Mining and Mountain Province Diamonds. In closing, Mr. Heck, what keeps you up at night that we don't know about? I think the same thing, Maurice, that probably keeps you up at night and a lot of our listeners out there, um, you know, the, the, the world has experienced a bifurcation. We've gone from one crisis, the pandemic, to the next, which is now, you know, the, I wrote an article a while ago about um, what I thought was a watershed event in early February. I wrote the article around February 6th when um, Vladimir Putin and uh, China's President Xi shook hands on a $117 billion trade agreement and a no limits mutual support agreement. It set the stage for Russia's uh, invasion of Kuwait and could set the stage for China's uh, attempt to reunify with Taiwan. And um, those, those actions, you know, are uh, 
uh, posed the potential for a world war um, between nuclear powers. And that's a very frightening prospect. And I don't think, you know, in my 62 years, I don't think the world has been um, as close to uh, mutually assured destruction as, you know, as, uh, you know, even more so than during the Cuban Missile Crisis. So, and there's a lot of ramifications uh, to the sanctions and all these kinds of things. And, you know, look, Ukraine is also uh, the breadbasket of Europe and so is Russia and they supply uh, one third of the world's wheat and the potential for famine and, and starvation and very high food prices are on the horizon um, because, you know, those those uh, acres that, that usually support grain production are now mine and battlefields. So this is a very worrying uh, time. And as I said, we went from one crisis to the next, but this crisis, this geopolitical crisis uh, reflects an ideological divide in the world that uh, will will uh, impact our lives, not only for uh, weeks and months to come, but for many years to come. You've referenced the relationship with wheat and revolution in the past. Would you mind reminding us of what that quote, uh, comment was? Yes, I did. And thank you for remembering that. I always say, you know, if I ask someone, Maurice, what's the most political commodity in the world? Nine out of 10 people tell me crude oil because crude oil, you know, the, 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 the majority of reserves comes from the Middle East, the very uh, turbulent region, political region. But I, I would counter by saying that it's wheat, because if we look back in history, the French Revolution, um, you know, that famous quote, whether it was hers or not, Marie Antoinette, you know, let them eat cake when there was bread shortages in Paris. It cost her her head. Uh, more recently, you know, there were bread riots in, in, in many countries over the years that uh, um, uh, precluded um, um, government change. The most recent example is the Arab Spring in 2010 that started as bread riots because of rising prices. Wheat had reached an all-time high in 2008, uh, and it filtered through to the markets. And in 2010, bread riots in Tunisia and Egypt led to sweeping political change across North Africa and the Middle East. So wheat is a highly uh, political commodity. And by the way, the high in wheat in 2008 was $13.34 roughly per bushel. And um, in March, we traded in a new all-time high, $13.40. So that, that's going to cause some problems over the coming years now, those in terms some, of uh, supplies. Those are definitely some alarming numbers. Last yeah. question, sir. What did I forget to ask? Well, you know, I thought about that, and I, uh, I, I guess, I guess, I would say, is it just diamonds? You know, is it just wheat? And um, no, it's it's much more, Maurice, uh, in the current situation. Russia is a is a, a a powerful commodity supermarket that produces palladium that goes into automobile catalytic converters, uh, gasoline powered catalytic converters, and we saw that price rise to a new all-time high. They're a leading producer of aluminum. We saw that price go to a new all-time high. Nickel mm -hmm. went to over $100,000 a ton in March on the LME and almost took down the entire exchange. We just mentioned grain prices, and there are other commodities. China owns 
most of the world's rare earth metals, which are critical for electronics and all kinds of the products, consumer products that we use each day. So this crisis, you know, we, we've talked about diamonds here and it's certainly going to affect the prices. And, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an opportunity, certainly, to look at these uh, companies like um, Dimacor and, and Mountain Province Diamonds. But the ramifications are critical. You know, markets reflect the economic and political landscape. And um, I think that in our lives, we've never seen an economic and political landscape quite like the one that's developing now. Couldn't agree with you more, sir. Mr. Heck, for someone that wants to learn more about your work, please share the contact details. Sure. Um, you can you can uh, read my articles on Seeking Alpha. I'm there weekly. Uh, I'm on Bar Chart almost every day. Uh, I write for Investment.com. I'm a partner in Bubba Trading. And um, so I write a lot, and I, I don't do many podcasts, only with you, Maurice. Well, thank you, and I'm honored, sir. And by the way, your work is also published on ProvenAndProbable.com. Great. <laughs> Mr. Heck, it's always a pleasure speaking with you, sir. Wishing you the absolute best. Same to you, Maurice. Thank you for your time. Thank you, sir. The information presented on Proven and Probable is provided for educational and informational purposes only, without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. The information is not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice, or any other advice. You should not make any financial, investment, or trading decision based on any of the information presented without first undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional broker or competent financial advisor.